I'm delighted that you're here and thank you for coming, even though you knew Sid wasn't preaching. This is good. All right. Uh, it's a joy to be with you, and it's a particularly a joy to be able to speak into your life from God's Word before we go to Thanksgiving celebrations this week. And um, I want to say Happy Thanksgiving, and my hope and prayer for you all is that after today, you don't settle for a Thanksgiving that is overeating in football alone. I'm hoping that there's something better this week in store for you as believers in Christ than just that, what the world has to offer. So you can see there's some fill in the blank here. The bucket is full of pens. If you need a pen, feel free to grab it. I definitely want to do that. And I left plenty of space there for you to write what God is teaching you. Again, I don't pretend to know exactly everything that the Lord wants to teach you in this passage today. Uh, just a couple of observations before we get going. You'll see the sermon title today is Thanksgiving, It's What the Hope of the Resurrection Causes. Um, you know, here at Open Door, we talk a lot about the gospel. And you may even be tempted to think, my goodness, Seth, Sid, Nathan, you guys talk about the gospel like all the time. And we talk about the forgiveness of sins a lot. And um, you might be tempted to like, what's the point of always talking about the gospel week in and week out? And uh, I wrote down a few things of what I thought might be the point. Here we go. Through the gospel, we know that Christ died and rose again to pay for our sins. We know that, again, not to just be overly simplistic here, but we know that through the gospel, Christ actually bought our ticket into heaven with his sacrifice. We know his death and resurrection puts us in right relationship with God. And these are our initial needs that Christ met at the cross. But one thing I know that we as a church family can be guilty of is making the gospel primarily about us and what I get and not about what God wants to do in us. That we often say, thank you Jesus for my eternal life and we stop there and fail to realize that God wants to do something in us as a result of the gospel in our life. And the next question that we should be asking is, what's it supposed to do in me, and how is it supposed to change me today? So when we understand the gospel, and we're going to be looking at kind of the, we're looking at the tail end of 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to turn to page 934 in the Blue Bible. But as we look at this, 1 Corinthians 15, when we understand the gospel in that verses 1 through 11, we're given the hope of the resurrection. And so let's just, again, if you're a visitor with us today, when we talk about the gospel, we're not talking about something social. We're not talking about, you know, a generic term. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11 states, it's that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. He was buried, he rose again, and he appeared to many witnesses. And the Apostle Paul says that that is the, like the, that is the absolute essential doctrine of the faith. To be a Christian, to be a child of God, you have to believe in the gospel. But when we understand that Christ died and he rose again, the rest of chapter 15 is really paving the way that because Christ died, arose again, we are promised the resurrection. That means when we physically die... There's going to be a day that not only our spirit goes to be with the Lord, but there's going to be a day where we're going to have a resurrected body. And that's what today's about. I want to share with you a little bit deeper about the resurrection, helping to understand it together, that if everybody moves a little bit further, closer to what Scripture teaches, 
on the resurrection, it'll fill us with massive amounts of gratitude, no matter what's going on this week. So I imagine that the hope of the resurrection doesn't make an impact, maybe for two reasons. Number one, we don't understand it. Let's just face it, the resurrection is a very other type thing. Probably most of you, if all of you, have never experienced the resurrection, okay? So it is very other. It's not something you experience going to work. It's not something part of your everyday life. But even if you do have a theological grounding of the resurrection, we don't talk about it enough. And that I do know is true. We don't talk about it enough. And the hope of the resurrection, I would say, is the defining characteristic that makes a New Testament Christian unique. The hope of the resurrection, that we actually can go through life with a sense of joy and peace and gratitude, no matter how terrible circumstances are, is the mark of a New Testament Christian. So gratitude from the resurrection is what we're talking about today. So though we're familiar, as a church family, again, I don't know how many times I have referred to 1 Corinthians 15, one through, particularly 1 through 8, we're going to be looking at the second half of chapter 15, verses 50 through 58. And just as you hold your hand there, I want you to look back at verse 35, because this is, the, this is kind of the, what two questions the Apostle Paul is writing here. Again, Apostle Paul wrote it to, wrote it to the church in Corinth. And he poses this question in verse 35. But someone will ask, how were the dead raised? And with what kind of body will they come? So in other words, this is so other. How is it that people come back to life? And what kind of body do they have? That's the question he's posed. So we're going to pick it up in verses 50. And we'll read 50 through 58. Okay? It says this, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory, and where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my brothers, dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Let's pray and ask the Lord for help. Our Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... Uh, the uh, the life-changing truths of it and how it can change our life. And today we rely on your spirit to understand what it means to believe it and to apply it. And so be with us now in these next few moments as we seek to really unearth and understand uh, this truth about the resurrection and the difference it makes in our life. Help us to walk out of here with a lot more gratitude and praise and thanksgiving for the resurrection. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So I want to give it to you right away. First point, you guys can see right there in your outline, 
is this. Perishable people perish without the gospel. We're going to go back and read it in verse 50, that perishable people perish without the gospel. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. So I think we've heard this before. If you've been in church very long, Jesus said in John chapter 3, which is a very very frequently visited text in Scripture, Jesus said in John chapter 3, Very truly I tell you that no one can see the kingdom of God without being born again. And then he says in verse 5, No one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Then he goes on to say, and you know this very familiar, God so loved the world that he gave his only son, one only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, okay, but have everlasting life. And so the very idea that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God was not new with the Apostle Paul. Jesus was proclaiming this before him. And in fact, the idea behind it is you obviously have to be born physically, but that alone will not get you into the kingdom of God. That flesh and blood does not inherit it, but you have to be born again of the Spirit. And we like to think of this world as the physical realm. We like to just think of it as Seth as that person you see standing up here. But I think God gives us the gifts of, you're going to help brace yourself, funerals to help us understand there's something more than just that physical body. Because you've all been to those funerals where you're looking at that person and you're thinking to yourself, that is not that person. There's something missing. And we call that their spirit. So there's something way beyond just the physical realm. And we know that the perishable, perishable people will perish without the gospel. And the second part of that, verse 50, says, nor does the perishable inherit imperishable. I want to ponder these terms because we've used these words about a dozen times already. And I want to make sure we're operating under the same understanding. Okay? So here's how we're going to define perishable and imperishable. Perishable, pretty simple, likely to decay or go bad quickly. Is that fair? All right. Imperishable is enduring forever, not subject to decay. So making sure we're, we're operating here. And I just want to just share this up front. I am not running a health food class today, but since we live in such a confusing society that oftentimes doesn't know it's up from down, I'm going to show you a couple examples. Here's the first one. Perishable. Likely to decay or go bad quickly. Here we go. Likely to decay or go bad quickly. That's real bread. Okay? Those are real grapes. In fact, this week I was, we bought organic grapes and I was pulling grapes out of the box that were already rotten. Perishable food, just kind of keep your eye on it because I had a high school kid last night, like, had this whole ugly face when he saw this. Perishable food, or food left in its natural state, is going to rot. Guarantee you. And uh, if you're buying food that rots pretty quickly, that's a really good sign that you're eating real food. In fact, other than honey, all real food rots. Catch that? So if it's real, other than honey, it will rot. That's at least my understanding. Okay? Imperishable food, so this is perishable food, all right? Imperishable food looks something like this. 
Now, does that look like it came straight out of the garden? No, that doesn't look too bad, but I see something man-made in there. There's something imposed on those green beans. What was it? The canning process, right? How about this? Imperishable. When you see the cheeseburger, look the same three weeks later in your teenage ro- teenager kid's room, you should be asking, why does it look the same? That should not be the same. And in fact, you know that there were some type of chemicals imposed upon this cheeseburger that makes it last that long, right? So, when something doesn't rot, we should be asking the question, Why? And you know that there was an outside force imposed on imperishable food. And I'm not saying it's all bad, but whether the canning process, whether the dehydration process, or whether it's chemical process, whatever it is, at least as far as I know, when it comes to food, when it, when it's imperishable, there was something imposed on it that would cause it not to perish. So are we, do we all get this? Are we all on the same page? Yes? Okay, here we go. Then why do we live every day like we're not perishing? Why do we live every day thinking that we're like frozen in time and our bodies are not perishing? I didn't want to embarrass any of you, so I wanted to show you a picture of myself. A lot of you who were here in 2005, I was 24 years old and I was only six years removed from this picture, all right? So my daughter Willow pulled out my our yearbook, uh, high school yearbook, and, I, and she's like, Dad, is that you? Yes, it is. So when I came in 2005, I was six years removed from this kid, okay? So I took a selfie this week, and uh, I did this because I thought if I could embarrass myself, you all will get this. There's two things that are bigger in that picture, my nose and my forehead, they say that as you age, your nose grows, and my forehead's getting bigger, well, you know why, all right? I also see this crack in my forehead this way. That was not there in that young picture. What happened? Perishable. <laughs> Perishable. Look at, the, look, at, look at the cracks. Look at this. And I'm only 39. perishable. If I could show you a picture of myself and help you guys see, and I know some of you guys laugh and still call me the young, I am the youngest pastor. I am. But look at that. Why are we behaving like our bodies aren't perishing? We just go on living life like we're just the same old, same old. The number of people that I've heard later in life say, I still feel like I'm 20. You're not. You're not. 20 anymore, and I'm not either. And it has huge implications when we actually go on life living like we're not physically perishing. It's got eternal implications when we think that as natural, born, perishable people, we can somehow inherit imperishable eternal life just by living life or doing the right things. So I want to warn you today that perishable humans do not naturally in themselves inherit eternal, imperishable life in heaven. 
There has to be an outside force imposed or brought in to make us imperishable. And that outside force, anybody know what that is or who that is? Jesus Christ. It's the gospel, his name, the name of Jesus. And that what we talk about often is 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 11, that essentially the creator God came in human flesh and he lived a sinless life and he died and he rose again in our place. That is the gospel. That is the good news. And that is how we receive or inherit eternal life. Pick up your pens real quick. We're going to see in verses 51 to 56 that the resurrection is meant to give the believer hope and encouragement. Verses 51 to 56. The resurrection is meant to give the believer hope and encouragement. Let's pick it up in verse 51. And he says this, Now listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And so he refers to this idea of this resurrection as a mystery. And it's something to which one must be initiated or instructed before it can be known. In other words, it's referring to something that's not obvious, and it's above our normal, natural human insight. And it refers to a truth that was hidden in the Old Testament, but revealed in the New. So what we're getting ready to hear here is that one must be initiated, meaning in order to have the resurrection, one must have an encounter with the death and resurrection of Christ. Then, we have to be instructed about what comes after we take our last breath. Because human beings, as human beings, we don't naturally come up with an accurate view of what comes next. We make up all sorts of weird things. And if you read books, you find people come up with all sorts of weird things. Because let's face it, the afterlife is a difficult topic. And it has a lot of question marks around it for a lot of people. So scripture is really clear on this one for us. So we don't naturally get eternal life. That's the gospel. And we don't naturally understand the afterlife. That's what he's telling us next. So I don't think we have to fully, fully understand this idea of the resurrection for it to change us. But I think each of us need to seek to understand it and seek to appreciate it more and more. So he says, listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. So, newsflash, not everyone is going to die before Jesus comes back. How cool would it be if we were living when he came? That would be fantastic. He says, we will not all sleep or not all pass away, but we will all be changed. And so we know this, that when Jesus Christ comes, there will be some who are believers in Christ who will be alive and will be there. But we know from the passage in a little bit that those who have died will be the first to meet the Lord. Those who have died in Christ will be the first to meet the Lord. And then we will meet the Lord in the air and we'll see that in a little bit. But everyone in Christ will be changed and made different. And God changes our mortal bodies to immortal bodies. And perishable will become imperishable. So how is this going to work? Let's pick it up in verse 52. How is it going to work? In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. So we know that, according to verse 52, this whole idea of the resurrection 
changing perishable, putting on the imperishable. It's going to happen in a flash. And it uses the phrase, in the twinkling of an eye. And some of your translations will say, in a moment. If you've ever had children or grandchildren, you realize those special moments that they say certain things or they did certain things. And as an adult, you remember, but you realize, look at how big these kids are now. That was just a moment. That was a flash. That was a snap. And that moment was over and it's gone. And it's just a memory. We see in the text that it's going to happen in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye. And we see that the resurrection and Jesus coming in the clouds, we're going to see, are tied very closely together. And we at Open Door do believe in the imminent return of Christ. And essentially that means he can come back at any time in the clouds. In fact, I don't know if you guys have heard of Chris Rice. He was at Christian Music. Uh, he's still producing songs. He's a believer in Christ, loves the Lord through the 90s all the way till now. But he had a CD called Run the Earth, Watch the Sky. And uh, that's about late, yeah, late 90s, that stuck with me, and it still has stuck with me. Run the earth, watch the sky. The Bible teaches that Jesus could return at any time, and it also teaches that our resurrection is right along with it. So when's it going to happen? He says it. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So it says, at the last trumpet of God it will sound, and it will herald what we understand to be the end of the church age when believers are caught up to be with the Lord. People frequently refer to this as the rapture, but essentially the phrase is caught up, meaning there's a, union, there's a, a reunion in the sky. Now, if that's not weird, I don't know what is. But it is cool that our Savior comes back in the clouds, and we'll read a passage in a minute together to help us understand this. So what happens at that trumpet... Verses 52 and 53, it says, In the flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. Now, there are two passages that I think will help us. We're going to flip back just to stay in chapter 15, verses 20 to 23. It's going to help us understand kind of how Christ's resurrection makes a difference in our life and what a difference it's going to make in the future. And then we'll look and read together up here. Verses 20 to 23, it says, But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a human being. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But in this order... Christ, the first fruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. So we know Christ died and rose again, and when he comes back, those who belong to him get to be with him. Okay? And I think you've, if you've been around the, the church very long, you've heard this passage, but I want to read this together. Can we do this? And it's actually, I read this yesterday at a funeral service here at the church, and I think this sheds a lot of light on this passage. Set of 1 Thessalonians 4. Can we read this together? All right, let's do this. Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. We believe that Jesus died and rose again. 
God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. According to the Lord's word, we tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And after that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Isn't that fantastic? You should highlight that in your Bible. The Apostle Paul said you should be encouraging one another with these words. In fact, for a little bit here, I'm going to leave it up there. And if you tune me out, that's okay. You can meditate on that scripture. It will encourage you if nothing else. Okay? So, that passage definitely clarifies for us some things about this passage. That God gives us a new heavenly body that will never die and it will never rot. And this encouragement is meant to cause us to view death from an entirely different, uh, from an entirely different perspective. In fact, for the New Testament Christian, death is not goodbye, it is see you later. It really is. And the resurrection is meant for something more than just the afterlife. It's meant to encourage you right here, right now, in this life. And in fact, if you look at news and you look at life around you, no matter how hard the world opposes truth, no matter how hard life gets, the health issues you have, the marriage issues, the parenting issues, the family issues, the work issues, no matter how difficult it is to follow Christ, the persecution that comes from being associated with Christ the Messiah, you have the hope of this. Jesus is coming back, and we get to be with him forever. Wow. Just ponder that for a moment, friends. Get pumped up about it. Jesus is coming back, and we get to be with him forever. So the worst thing that I can do, somebody can destroy this perishable body. It's going to perish anyway. And then I get to be with the Lord, and he's going to raise up this perishable body and make it imperishable. What fantastic news. So I want to encourage you guys with this. The next time you see somebody who's radically discouraged, who knows the Lord, I want you to look them square in the eye and say, Jesus is coming back. Don't forget about it. Jesus is coming back. Don't forget about it. Paul says, encourage one another with these words. We should be speaking these truths in each other's lives. So the next time somebody expresses discouragement, oh, I'll pray for you. Look him square in the eye and tell him the truth. Jesus is coming back. Don't forget about it. He's coming for us. Don't forget about it. So we'll see in verses 54 and 55, Paul really enhances the joy of the resurrection here. And he quotes from the, the Old Testament, Hosea and Isaiah here. Let's read it. Verses 54 and 55. It says, when the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with the immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? And where, O death, is your sting? So, 
as you look at that, that phrase, death has been swallowed up in victory, I got thinking about the animal world. When an animal swallows another animal whole, we call that dominance. I fish, and most of my baits are meant to, to look like another fish. And it's amazing what certain type of fish species actually eat. It's, they will eat something almost their size. So it's shocking. But in the animal world, we see that when they swallow something whole, it's total dominance. We had a dog up north that used to go around in the snow, with put her head in the snow and, and just go around and just go like this in the yard. And all of a sudden we'd go, dive in, come up, and there'd be a mouse. Throw the mouse in the air, I'm not joking, and down it. And it was like, gross, right? Total dominance. When something can swallow something up, total dominance. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Jesus Christ died and he rose again. He conquered death. He then offers eternal life by faith in him and what he did. And the result is, death is swallowed up. And we had it at the cross, and we'll have it when he comes back, that death will be nailed once and for all, resurrected, and we get imperishable bodies. So fantastic. Then he goes on and taunts death as if it were a bee without a stinger. And I want you to think this through. How many of you guys, when bees are coming your way, tend to... Now let's remove the stinger from bees. How scared are you? Not at all. In fact, they're intriguing. In fact, I would stand near a hive all day long if they didn't have a stinger, right? And he says it in verse 55, Where, O death, is your victory? And he refers to death, again, just like some type of insect here, Where, O death, is your sting? This is what New Testament believers have the privilege of. We can view death like an insect without a stinger, that we don't have to be afraid of it, we can even appreciate the result of it, that we get to be with the Lord. So it's not threatening. In fact, verse 56 clarifies that the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So that sting was the sin that was exposed by the law of God. And that the Old Testament law is actually good, and it makes us conscious of our sin. So if you've ever wondered why in the world did God give us all these Old Testament laws, he gave it to us so that we understand that we can't measure up to God. Again, just for clarification purposes, the only reason you know you're speeding is because you see a speed limit sign, and then the law comes in and tells you that you're speeding. Officer, I didn't even know I was speeding. And if you don't obey that law, then he comes in and brings in the ticket, the pain associated with breaking the law. The Old Testament law was given to us so that we might read it, lose hope in ourselves, and desperately look for a Messiah, the Christ. And he did, and he died for us. And that sting was the sin that was exposed by the law, and God's law makes us conscious of our sin. And then he says, the, death is, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. So if you look, death is everywhere, and sin is the cause. 
And sin and its eternal consequence was conquered by Christ and his resurrection. So I'm going to give you your last answer for the day. We're going to see it in verse 57. Is The hope of the resurrection leads us to thanksgiving. So let's read it in verse 57. But thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there you have it. If I could summarize verse 57... It is, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord, for your victory that you've given us in Jesus Christ. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And that victory is not based upon or bought by our actions, but is based upon the finished work of Christ and his death and his resurrection. So, we believe and we have the hope of the resurrection, and that is to result in our hearts a ton of gratitude resulting in thanksgiving. And I shared with you to start our time, but gratitude for the resurrection is the mark, the thing that sets us apart as a New Testament Christian. That when we go through life, we have a sense of gratitude, not just thankful in general, but gratitude to our Creator for what He's done. So this is your Thanksgiving challenge, friends. Check it out. I'm almost done here, all right? It's your Thanksgiving challenge. Don't settle for overeating in football. Don't just give thanks. Because we oftentimes will just be like, oh, it's just a thankful heart. I would encourage you to give thanks for the cross, the resurrection of Christ, and the promise of your resurrection. I don't think we can contemplate this enough. I think actually we contemplate it way too much, or way too little, I should say. Because as a result of contemplating the resurrection that Christ gives us, it results in thanksgiving, and it anchors us for verse 58, which is the end of the passage here. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. So this is a challenge for us not to be stubborn. This is not a stubborn passage. He's telling us to anchor ourselves, stand firm, let nothing move you in what? Always giving yourself fully to the work of the Lord. And what did he just talk about? Remembering the resurrection that the the perishable will put on the imperishable. When Christ comes back, we get a new body. So take care of it, but don't put your hope in this wrinkling up, aging body. Don't put your hope in that, friends. He's going to fix it someday. Let him do his trick. But in the process of this, we can renew our mind, and we can stand firm, and we can anchor ourselves in these truths with thanksgiving so that we can fully commit ourselves to the work of the Lord. So stand firm. Let nothing move you, because the work of the Lord is the only thing we do that matters for eternity. So this week, in the spirit of Thanksgiving, I want to invite you to focus on, highlight, verse 57. Verse 57. But thanks be to God, exclamation point, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that passage will help you, sustain you with gratitude and thanksgiving as you march into all these family get-togethers, as you're going to the grocery store this week, as Black Friday hits and all the chaos of our culture ensues, 
gratitude that we have victory in Jesus Christ. Does this give you something to think about? Process it this way. Focus on the death and resurrection of Jesus and focus on giving him thanks that we have hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Thanks, Lord. Um, Lord, we realize that apart from you, we are perishable because of our sin. And we're thankful to be able to put on imperishable or have imperishable through your son, Jesus Christ, and what he did. And Lord, uh, though my spirit gets to be with you forever, um, Lord, help me to realize that this body, unless you come back soon, is going to break down and perish. And Lord, my hope is not in my ability to to keep this body uh, perfect, um, but Lord, my hope is in you and the fact that you're going to raise it up someday to make it imperishable. Lord, all I can say is thank you. Thank you. Thank you for hope. Because, Lord, we don't find a lot of hope from other people in the culture. We find hope in you and your word. Thank you for the truth that it changes our life. Thank you for the truth that uh, we can have eternal life. And then we have the hope of the resurrection. And this week, we dedicate it to you with thanksgiving for all that you've done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.